Good morning, church family. Today's scripture is 2 Samuel 9, verses 5 through 8. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All righty, family. <clears throat> Take a look at this picture here. And uh, raise your hand if you see a rabbit. Okay, that's all right. Raise your hand if you see a duck. Ah, there we go, there we go. Uh, so if you see a duck, you're probably looking at it from the right to the left. If you see a rabbit, you're probably looking at it from the left to the right. Am I right? Amen, amen. I love these. Uh, sort of like an image within an image. Or a story within a story. I'm Elliot. Um, I serve here as a part of a team of deacons. And uh, for my day job, I work with an organization called Athletes in Action. Uh, Athletes in Action is a ministry, and we serve alongside uh, college and professional athletes here in southern Arizona. I work at the University of Arizona, and I serve in both our NCAA athletic department and in our adaptive and Paralympic athletic department. Fun fact, Arizona has the largest adaptive athletic department in the country, and so it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And um, yeah, I serve pointing athletes and coaches to Jesus Christ, um, and it's been, I played football at the University of Arizona, and it was actually in the locker room my freshman year that I gave my life to Christ, and my journey began, and there was someone there who worked with Athletes in Action that grew me and journeyed with me in my faith, um, and so that was a significant part of my college days, and then eight years ago, came back to do this now. Um, we're going to be opening up God's Word today, and so uh, if you, I'd like to invite the ushers down with some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, just raise your hand, and um, our ushers will get you one. Y también en español, si no tienes una Biblia y quieres una, por favor levanta su mano y diga español, y esto es un regalo para usted. Eh, hoy vamos a estar en el libro de Segundo Samuel, capítulo 9. Uh, we'll be in 2 Samuel today, chapter 1. Let me pray for our time. Lord, we love you. God, thank you. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, fill us up, open our eyes, 
Help us to see and to hear from you, um, Lord, and that we would grow and um, become more and more of the people that you're calling us to be. In Christ's name, amen. Well, have you ever made a promise that you weren't quite sure if you would be able to keep? Or maybe uh, someone told you, hey, I'll be there, and uh, maybe they didn't show up. Have you ever counted on someone or been counted on and you weren't able to come through? Um, I think if we're honest, as human beings, we do struggle. We struggle to make commitments and keep them. Uh, we struggle to trust, right? Like at, at the root of it, when we experience um, someone who says something that they're going to do and they don't do it, we, it erodes, it takes away the trust that we might have for that person. Um, and if we're that person, we sort of st start to not trust ourselves a little bit. We get a little bit shy on maybe saying or making commitments. Um, yeah, I think this kind of cycle, right, uh, is a part of this human condition where uh, faithfulness or faithlessness and trust or lack of trust, and they kind of work hand in hand, digging us into sometimes a, a hole that is uncomfortable and hard and, and brings complexity and challenges to relationships. Hmm. Let's take a look at 2 Samuel 9.1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? One of the things I love about Netflix is that you get the Netflix recap at the beginning, okay? The only problem with that is that most of us don't wait weeks in between every show, right? So we a lot of times skip it because we're just binge watching the show. But anyways, let me give you the Netflix recap um, of where we're at as we continue to journey through First and Second Samuel. There's three main characters. The first is King Saul. King Saul um, was the first king of Israel. Everybody wanted King Saul. King Saul was kind of, uh, on paper, sort of the people's choice. Uh, <clears throat> king Saul was kind of a bit egotistical, and after a while, uh, the gold rubbed off, and everybody, oh man, they began to see that, boy, this wasn't, he wasn't the genuine article. Uh, the second person that enters the game is King Saul's son, Jonathan, and then, like any good telenovela, we have David who enters in, and David becomes God's choice to be the king of Israel. David is best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. Here we go. Uh, and Saul and Jonathan begin to see the writing on the wall that David is God's chosen and they begin to uh, see that, oh my goodness, you know. And, and Saul really starts to get jealous and to the point of trying to kill David. Not once, not twice, ten times. It's complicated. It's complicated. Well, what's crazy is that Saul and Jonathan both see the writing on the wall. And they go to, to David in different times of their lives and say, David, listen, we know you're going to be the guy. We know you're the anointed, the Lord's anointed king that's going to come up. And Saul says to him, just when you become that, don't destroy my lineage forever. 
don't kill everyone in my family. And then at the same time, Jonathan says to David, listen, when you become king, show kindness to my family, to our lineage. And you might be wondering, why would they both go to David in two separate times and ask David for that concession, for that commitment? And because there was a practice during that time. See, if I became king and I stepped into power, the practice of that time was that I was going to kill everyone else in the previous ruler's family to eliminate all competition for the throne. So see, that was the common practice of the time. And David comes onto the scene. At this point in the story, Saul and Jonathan are dead. David is rising, becoming king, and kind of, I would say, in a really sort of popular spot. His uh, approval ratings were high. Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Language matters. Our words matter. Our words have power, and the words that we choose to describe people, situations, scenarios matter. Um, these words crippled, and we're going to see the word lame come up at the end, they're not helpful. They don't honor our brothers and sisters with disabilities. Um, a better word would just be that, um, yeah, that this young person had a disability and was unable to move in the same way that someone with an able body might move from point A to point B. I do want you to see how Ziba describes this person. He doesn't use his name. Uh, instead, Ziba, the emphasis is placed on this person's disability. It's dehumanizing. Um, we're going to learn that this young man's name is Mephibosheth and uh, that this disability is a part of who Mephibosheth is, but it's not all of who he is. Amen? Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 4. The king said to him, where is he? This is King David. And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Uh, the last, I would say, five to seven years has been a beautiful journey for me as I begin to build relationships in our Adaptive and Paralympic Athletic Department at the University of Arizona. And this journey has led me um, on a lot of new learning, uh, both from my brothers and sisters and friends with disabilities, coaches and athletes, 
And also, just as I've begun to open up the scriptures and begun to read more and more and more about how the church has honestly, I think, has a lot of area to grow in how we relate to our brothers and sisters created in the image of God that might operate a little bit differently than we might do if we had with an able body. In this, um, I've, I've come across and done a lot of work on this account, and that's when I reached out to Dave and I said, hey, are we going through 2 Samuel? Are we going to be looking at the account with Mephibosheth? And he had said, yeah, in fact, we are. And I was like, cool, would it be okay if I preached on that? Or if not, I've been learning a lot. Um, could I share some things that I've been learning? I think that could help us frame this a little bit better. And he said, sure, why don't you try it? And I was like, that'd be amazing. So I pray and I hope that some of this today um, is honestly some, hopefully, a, a new way to look at this story um, that I believe is a holistic, healthy way that I think God's heart is right in the middle of. Let's take a moment to learn from Mephibosheth. First of all, he's Jonathan's son, okay, the only remaining son in the lineage of Saul. He is the rightful heir to the throne. If this throne is going to pass genealogically, Mephibosheth is the rightful heir to the throne. A few chapters earlier in 2 Samuel 4, we learn about that Mephibosheth is five years old, and uh, there's people that are after Saul and Jonathan trying to kill him. And Mephibosheth, at five years old, his caretaker is basically running away from these people that are trying to kill Saul and Jonathan. And in the process of fleeing, Mephibosheth is injured, and this leads to his disability. Mephibosheth is from a place called Lodabar. When this is translated, it means no pasture. Interesting. When Mephibosheth is summoned to David... He travels a good distance from Lodabar to Jerusalem. Mephibosheth is not helpless, friends. Mephibosheth is courageous. Mephibosheth knows the common practice of the day. That the king who comes in kills everyone else. And yet when David summons him, Mephibosheth doesn't know why is King David calling me. Mephibosheth courageously comes to the throne. Think about the courage, please. He knows he's the only remaining son in the lineage of Saul. He knows the habit of the kings of the day, yet he comes. Mephibosheth comes with a posture of humility, saying, I am your servant. And notice how David relates to Mephibosheth in contrast to Ziba. He calls him by his name. Isn't there such dignity in being known? Mm. Let's look at 7 and 8. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Verse 8. And he paid homage. That word homage means he worshipped and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? See, David decides to make good on his word. 
And this is unusual because the only two people to hold him accountable to it are dead. Saul and Jonathan, he makes a commitment, right? A promise to. David decides to remain faithful to the promise he made before God to Jonathan and Saul. King Saul is David's enemy. Think about this. He's tried to kill him ten times. David remains true to his word. Even Saul? Mephibosheth thinks he's as good as dead, right? But he calls himself a dead dog. It's not a self-deprecating comment. It's a point of reality. The common practice of the day is to kill the lineage. He comes to David, he says he pays homage. He says, I'm a dead dog. I'll be your servant. And every other king, David does, right, what every other king wouldn't do. We see an example of David that church, I believe, is something we should live out. David is faithful. David is kind. Faithfulness. Doing what you say. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. How could this change a friendship, a family, a work environment, a school environment, a team? Man, if we said yes and we did it, yeah, I'll be there, and we came, and we had the courage to say no, I'm not coming because I want to do something else. That's revolutionary. Instead of leaving the text unread because I don't know how to engage. I don't want to hurt your heart. Come on now. Come on, Marcus. I'm going to put, your feet, I'm going to put my feet on your couch. I just think this could bring a lot of clarity to our lives. Yeah, it would end some, some really unhealthy relationships, right? We might get fired for making, it might end some unhealthy things in our life. But it might also, there's a relationship that's just beginning, it might help that blossom into something really healthy. It might really bring strength to a really healthy relationship. Let's go back to our first question, right? How faithfulness is related to trust. Guys, see, when we see faithfulness, it builds trust. Mm. And trust, what does trust do? It builds stability. Mm. And when I feel stable, I feel safe. We need more of that, right? Amen? And a lack of faithfulness takes it away. Let's talk about kindness. Using our words and our actions to build someone up, to bless someone, not tear them down. You know, kindness helps people feel loved. 
Like they actually matter. I really like your shirt. It's cool. You don't like their shirt? I like your shoes. <laughs> hey, thanks for helping me out today. I want to thank my friends, family, coaches, athletes that have come this morning. It means a lot. Your yes is powerful. Thank you. It makes me feel loved. I got the dishes. What's your order? I was sitting, okay, I went to the game last night. Yeah. <laughs> I got to stay focused. Dave, I got to stay focused. I want to go. I can't. I, and the person next to me, I had met them for a minute. And they're like, hey, we're going to go to the uh, concession stand. Come on. Do you want anything? <laughs> that was the kindest thing. I was like, I should actually take this person up on it just to see. I was good. I was like, no, no, thanks. But that was the most kind gesture. Even if they didn't mean it, I thought, but I think he did mean it. <laughs> There's this great quote from a movie. It says, when given the choice to be right or to be kind, be kind. One of my favorite quotes says, when is the best day to plant a tree? 30 years ago. When's the second best day? Today. When's the best day to be faithful? Oh, man, 30 years ago. That would change a family, wouldn't it? When's the best day to be kind? But the second best day, amen? Today. Let's look at 9 and 10. Verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. David said, Team Ziva, 35 strong, you have a new job. You're going to Lodabar. That means no pasture. A pasture, a, a, a big grassy field that, that livestock eat on. No pasture. You're going there, and you're going to cultivate this land. You're going to build it up on behalf of Mephibosheth. You're a new master. Verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. We'll address that. Mephibosheth went from being a dead dog 
to the king's table. From Lodabar, meaning no pasture, to Jerusalem, meaning the city of peace. From an orphan, Jonathan, dead dad. Saul, grandpa, dead. To the adopted son of King David. From having his lineage destroyed to having a son, Micah. And why do we finish with a statement about his disability? It seems odd, doesn't it? Friends, it's meant to catch our attention. See, the author here is using an old writing style to make a point. And I want to see if I can help us discover this together. So we'll start at the top and at the bottom. And we see at the top in verse 3, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is disabled in his feet. And we look at the bottom. Now he was lame in both his feet. Okay, so this begins to draw us in. See, friends, you think you're looking at the picture that says, oh man, this is about David. Let's be like David. Let's be kind. Mephibosheth, he needs our help. Starts outside. Let's draw us in. It brought him from the house of Machir in Lodabar, so he lived in Jerusalem. We see a change of residence. Come on now. Next one. We see that in verse 6, he's the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Bam. Mephibosheth had a young son. I am your servant. Mephibosheth says to David, David says, and all who lived in Ziba's house are becoming your servants. Come on. Next verse. I will restore to you of all the land of Saul, your father. Bam. And not only am I going to give you the land, you and your sons shall till the land and you shall bring in the, the produce. You shall eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of his sons. Now wait. See, this strategy, this literary technique is meant to take us from the outside that we think is the main point and bring us to the main point in verse 8 in the middle. And he paid homage. Worship is that word, homage. And Mephibosheth said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Mephibosheth comes to center stage to teach us. He's the example we're to follow. We're not David, friends. I'm going to tell you who David is in a second. Come on, the picture within a picture, the story within a story. God created this world. He created this world, and in it, he created people in his image, in his likeness. And every single one of us has dignity, value, 
worth, purpose, because we're created in the image of God. Amen? Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with creation. And the serpent comes in and tempts Adam and Eve, and they sin. And brokenness enters the picture. And that sin, that brokenness begins to destroy the relationship that people have with God. And begins to destroy the relationship that people have with each other. And begins to destroy the relationship that we have with creation. And begins to destroy the relationship that we have with ourselves. And sin enters and fractures. And those fractures pulse through the world and time. And at the moment that that happens, God says, hold on, wait a minute. Don't go there because I'm not with it. And he says, I'm going to crush the head of this snake with a descendant from Eve. And the story continues, and we learn about Abraham. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to do what I started in Eve. I'm going to have it. A son is going to come. Someone's coming through your line. And then from Abraham, David is in the line. And God says, I'm going to do it. I'm making a promise. I'm going to come and make this thing right. And it's going to come through the line of David. There's going to be a more faithful David coming. There's going to be a truer David coming. There's going to be someone who's going to make it right coming. Because you might be high on David now, but just wait till Dave preaches next week. Different Dave. (laughs) Our pastor Dave. And we see the birth of Jesus from the line of David. Emmanuel, God with us. And see, so God so loved the world, what did he do? He sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have life. So God sent Jesus to begin to make things whole and to make things right. And we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. Man, I can barely keep my word. I can be kind and thinking something horrible. So the message today isn't be like David. Because next week you're not going to want to be like David. (laughs) But I believe the message is, can we learn from Mephibosheth? See, Jesus says, I want to take you from being dead in your struggles to being alive in Christ. See, Jesus makes this offer. He says, I want to change who you serve. From serving the enemy to serving the Lord. And Jesus says, I want to change your residence. I want to move you. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And Jesus says, I'm going to keep my promise. And I'm going to adopt you and invite you into my family as a son 
and as a daughter. And Jesus says, I want to give you an inheritance. I've got riches awaiting for you in heaven. And Jesus says, I want to give you abundant life here. Where you experience peace and wholeness and your needs are met here on earth and you can begin to share and bless others. And Jesus says, I want you to lift your eyes and stop eating off the crumbs of the ground and come here and sit at my table. Hmm. And Jesus makes this offer. He says, hey, listen. To us, all of us, Jesus is saying, hey, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone would come to the door and open it up and see, and I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. And we're faced with this church. We have this opportunity, this beautiful opportunity where he says, come sit at the table, daughter, come. Son, come. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And you and I might say, I don't deserve this. And we're right. Oh, we might say, how could he forgive me again? And he will. Could he fix my life? Could he transform my life? Hmm. Yes. We say, I can't pay him back. You're right. We can't. We can do our best to live for him. Honor him with our everything. And so we go back to verse 8 with Mephibosheth. And we see three things that Mephibosheth does. The example for us to see. He comes, he pays homage, it means he worships, he accepts what David is offering, and he offers his life back to be a servant. So our call is to surrender, to lay our lives down, accept the gift of Jesus in our lives. And then through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit that fills up believers and gives us the strength and the courage and the correction to journey through life, that, that hopefully out of that is going to come the fruit of the Spirit, the growing of something on a tree in our life, a tree that is rooted down in God, in our messiness and in our brokenness, and God, please, Use me, just keep, sh- I don't, I'm so, forgive me, Lord. And in this dialogue and back and forth and, and through this rooted tree sinking deep into the Lord, all of a sudden in our life, God starts moving and working and changing and transforming. And all of a sudden in our life, there starts to grow this little piece of fruit on our life that says, ooh, I better think about that commitment I'm making. My yes, ah, I want it to be my yes, Lord. Help my no to be my no. And this fruit of faithfulness starts to grow in our life. And this fruit of kindness starts to take root and to grow in our life as we're rooted in the Lord. And we start to change and love and live. And it's not perfect. Let me pray for us.
Thank you, Lord. God, we love you. Thank you so much. God, that you would teach us and that we could learn from Mephibosheth and from David. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it never returns void. God, I know that we're all here at different places in our journey. But Lord, I thank you that we're here. Would you work in our hearts and in our minds as we're here? God, that every single person's at a different spot. Lord, would you just move right in and work where they're at? Would you draw them to yourself? God, would you help us, Lord, to be more faithful and at the same time realize that we can't do it and we need you. And would you move and move and move, we pray in our life. In Christ's name, amen.